What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I am Alex. I am Justin. Sup, I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about a ton of comics Woo! this week, so let's jump into it. Talking about Star Wars Dark Droids, Talk number one. Oh, these droids. Oh, man. Oh, man. My they, droids, they are so Are you trusted? All these other characters we all have our fun with. The droids, they have fun, too. Can't trust it. This is from Marvel, written by Charles Soule, art by Luke Ross. This is a kickoff of a big Star Wars event that's going to be running through all of Marvel's Star Wars titles, or at least most of Marvel's Star Wars titles. And in this issue, we get a otherworldly droid-esque character who is basically Borg-style infecting all of the droids of the Star Wars universe, taking them over, including some ones that we know and love. And that means pretty bad things for everybody. What you guys think about the kickoff for this event? I mean, I didn't know this was such a big event. It's running through December. This is like the rest of the year for the Star Wars line, which is wild. But I've been saying in all these Star Wars comics we've been reading, like eh, a lot of them, it feels like we're just filling in tiny gaps and it's hard to really get invested because we know what happens to so many of the characters, like your Darth Vader's, your um, Luke, uh, Mm -hmm. Leia. Hand. I'm familiar with many yeah, of we, these We don't have to yes. list them all. We get what you're saying, guy. Chewy. Uh, oh, yeah. that's the one. Uh, but this this actually feels like it is carving out some new ground. It feels really fresh. It feels like we're actually current in the universe with a new threat that just we haven't heard this story in the um, larger cinematic universe. So I'm excited for it. Uh, I, yeah, I love Charles Soule. I think he's an amazing writer. Uh, th- this, though, is... Uh, we've seen this before, you know, when AI goes bad, you know, robots are going to turn on us, all this kind yeah. of stuff. We're about um, to see it in reality for our real lives. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. That's going to happen. T2 is uh, it was a historical movie. Uh, I, I just think it's one of those things, though, that I love these droids over. The, I've become very close to these droids. I don't want to see them go bad and I don't want to. Uh, a root against them. Um, I'm in too deep to kind of uh, all of a sudden now hate R2. Go fuck yourself. So I, I, I'm having a little hard time with this because it's, you know, I've seen this kind of idea played out a lot. So it's an interesting idea to bring it over to the Star Wars universe where we're already in the future and we're so dependent on droids. It's, it's the past. past. It's the past. I'm not sure if you're aware. Deep past. Yeah. Go fuck yourselves. Wait, Pete, are you saying you love all the droids? Yeah. Like the foot burner? Uh, mouse you know, droids? Doing, like the mouse droids? He's just doing his uh, job, you know what I mean? The one that rips apart the droid in yeah. uh, the Jawas thing? What about yeah. the probe droid, the Imperial probe droid? Oh, yeah, that Han has to, he lights that shit up. Yeah. You love that guy? You like that one? <laughs> you love yeah. that? Yeah. You love them all? You <laughs> oh love all the droids? I think there's something really potentially very interesting that they could be playing with here in this crossover. The often joked about, often discussed aspect of the Star Wars universe that these droids are happy slaves to the point that they had that in the most recent uh, season of The Mandalorian. They had a whole episode where the droids were like, oh, we love being in Uh, indentured servitude for for our entire lives where everybody was like, So if you can play with the idea of what is the difference in the Star Wars universe between the way droids are currently versus this entity coming in and controlling them as a collective, I think there's something palpably interesting in terms of the thought process there. I don't know if that's what they're going to deal with, but it seems like that's something they're going to be talking about, given they give a wash of some droids are friendly, some droids are not friendly, and they give us a sense of that in this first issue here. So I'm really curious. I'm also curious because... Charles Sill isn't part of just the Star Wars Marvel brain trust. He's also part of the High Republic brain trust. And there feels like this real willingness to iterate new ideas in the Star Wars universe right now. So we'll see. I'm not saying that I'm going to read every issue until December, but this first issue made me interested to read more. And ultimately that's the point of a kickoff. Yeah. I trust Charles soul. He he has an unbelievable track record. I'll check it out because he's attached to it. I'm just a little, a little uh, cautious and a little worried about what we're doing. 
You just don't like the fact the- that C-3PO goes bad. Yeah, that uh, would be. Uh, yeah, More that- like C-3PO, oh, no. Yeah, oh, nice. exactly. Thank you. Yeah, C-3PO'd, pissed off. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good, too. Pete, you got uh, Pete, one? wait, you, you, wanna... you love, you got one? Here, I will give you a second because I have a question for you. You love even the droids that when they get scared, they turn into little helmets? Yep. Even the droids from the prequels that are bad at doing everything? Yep. Roger. They're like Roger, stick Roger. figures. Yep. They're like stick yep. figures. Those yep. suck. Love those. Oh, love those man. Guys. Sorry, buddy. They suck. What, what about Lobot? Lobot? <laughs> they was sort of a droid, but also a human in the, from, the, uh, from Empire? Mm-hmm. I will say one thing that I was very surprised they threw in here was that bonkers plotline from Solo where Lando likes to have sex with the Millennium Dog. Yeah, that was a Let's forget about that. Let's never talk about that again. Let's not call that out. That was bad. But I also think that adds a whole other flavor to all of their interactions of Lando in the whole rest of the movie, all the movies. But the, even the, the panel that's in the comic, it looks like they cut out like some weird thing that was happening just out of frame where yeah. Lando was like doing something was like, so the millennium Falcon was like, I'll show you what you want. <laughs> Why don't we move on and talk about the yeah, Sandman please. universe. Thessaly special number one from DC. That's Comics, how you say that word written by James Todd of the fourth art by Maria. Love it. This is spinning out of nightmare country. And as it says on the cover, this is an essential issue of that storyline as we follow everybody's favorite jerk, witch in the Sandman <laughs> universe, as she tries to jerk suss witch. out. I mean, that's kind of what she is, right? As she tries to figure out why she has been sucked into the story that is being told in nightmare country and nightmare country, the glass house or glass houses. I don't remember the, the glass house. Yep. The glass house. Um, Pete, I was very surprised to hear that seemingly you love this. You were super into this. Talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I Maria love it. Uh, I think that, it, you know, <laughs> this is this is crazy. Uh, great art. Some tripped out uh, shit going on with the uh, witches and magic and killing dudes and shit. But this is fun. And this is it's very interesting and a great story. Uh, I'm I'm in. James Tynan is the most meticulous writer in JT4. JT4. So, like, to see him really crafting the story, and you sort of feel a little bit of a meta-narrative here of him starting to be involved in Hollywood and mm-hmm. be, like, writing treatments Ooh, for things. That's a ma- meta-narrative. That's a major part of this story. I love the cutouts, the text pages that we've seen popularized all across comics lately. I think it's really well done here, giving us some uh, backstory from different times on Thessaly and how she her life has unfolded, the bad things she's done, the things that happened to her. And I, I love that extra backstory. And I'm really curious, the overarching story about this, uh, this person who is missing from the afterlife, essentially, and Thessaly's trying to track him down. There's this story that's unfolding on Earth, like, is really interesting and very subtly told. I think this whole area of the DC universe is going great. Yeah, this is great. If you have been off Sandman for any period of time, this feels like a worthy sequel on. to it. Get back on that sand train. Get back on that sand, man. There you go. And he makes an appearance. He does. That was very exciting. The actual one, not the Daniel one or David. Daniel. His name's just Daniel. There you go. To go from Sandman, the Dream King, to like, this is Dan. (laughs) <laughs> like sort of a bummer. Let's yeah, just all. It's a that's a good. That's this, a this is Dan. We're going to be playing Mario Kart. You want to join? <laughs> Dibs on toe. Yeah. There you go. Oh man, that's my character too. That's weird. Sacrifice you guys are both toads. We're both yeah. toads. What are you? Dry bones, dog. Let's go. <laughs> dry dry bones. bones. Yeah. I have a question for you. There's a dry bones Bowser, right? Is yep. the regular Bowser wet bones Bowser? That's what I call them. Oh, me too. <laughs> wet bones. Oh, yeah. We're all a bunch of wet bones. Oh, <laughs> Sacrifices number one from Image Comics by Rick Remender, art by Max Famora. God damn, Remender. If you picked up Free Comic Book Day, or if you went to Free Comic Book Day and picked up this issue, this is that issue. You're not getting necessarily anything new here, but this is some phenomenal art here. As Rick Mentor talks about in the back matter, yes. he is oh, I love surprisingly very inspired by David Lynch here. So he's not giving a lot of information mm. on exactly what's going on. But as far as I can suss out, you've basically got these gods and they're dealing with their 
inter-family issues and big God things. Mistresses. Mistresses and eating lava cakes and things like that. And meanwhile, down on Earth, you have these bird people and other people who are dealing with the will of God. Uh, So ultimately, I think that's what I take away from this. That's what the theme of this is. But in classic Rick Remender fashion, in one issue alone, he's going to tear your heart out. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like there should have been a little bit of a warning or a little something put on this because you you, you get a, a father figure beating his child and uh, that was rough, dude. That was the warning. There was a warning on the cover. It was the words Rick Remender. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, oh, that's great. I'm gonna be here all that's week. That's good stuff. Oh, this man. is this is Rick Remender's uh, take on Pixar's Elemental, and it's much better. <laughs> it's dark. It's a it's stronger take. Dark, bro. No, this is I, fantastic. The art's amazing. The story's super interesting. The back matter Ray talks about, like Alex said. David Lynch has an influence. I love David Lynch. And also the way he's like, David Lynch never told you what's happening. He showed you a story. And that just syncs up with so much of what Rick Remender has done through all the years. So it's worth it for the back matter alone, the thing I always say. Oh, wow. Yeah, just absolute fantastic cover. Uh, Yeah, but holy shit, this stuff gets crazy fast. Um, and Remender is going to play with your emotions. It's got a kind of like a interesting kind of Hunger Games vibe with like tribute type of thing. So I'm interested to see, uh, what's going on with this, but, uh, man, you talk about a first issue grabbing you and kind of like, you know, shaking you, uh, to your core a little bit, man, it's, uh, it's pretty intense. I would say just to wrap this up, if you're a fan of Rick Remender, this feels like not a sequel, but in the sort of same vein as Seven to Eternity, at least right now, because you got the fantasy sending. So definitely pick it up. I'll pick up anything he does. And Max Fumar's art is phenomenal. Death of the Venomverse, number one from Marvel, written by Cullen Bunn, art by Gerardo Sandoval. This is kicking off the event of the title. It is a Venom version of End of the Spider-Verse as Carl. Carnage, who is now unfettered by Cletus Cassidy. He's just a costume. In just search goop. Of, he's just a bunch of goop gathering powers throughout the universe. He's going through the multiverse and killing off Venoms. And there's a couple of good Venoms who are trying to stop him. Uh, Pete, you like goop? It's yeah. Fun. I mean, you like Gwyneth Paltrow's goop. This must be right up your alley. Yeah, let's talk about the buns, hon. I mean, this is epic. The buns <laughs> likes a big event. You know what I mean? He is killing this. It's very intense and over the top in a lot of great Venom ways. Um, so this is just such a, uh, a, a big thing. I was surprised at how huge this is. Uh, and what's nice is you're really worried uh, that, the, you know, Team Venom is not going to make it out of this. And uh, I think that's cool and uh, really well done. Yeah, I'm in it, man. I'm, I'm very excited for this event. Um, so, yeah, I feel like the Buns is bringing it. A lot of uh, the past few years have expanded the goop across um, the multiverse in uh, our 616 universe to many goops, the king of goops. And uh, I'm ready for them to start culling the goops, Uh, culling, culling the goops, I guess I would say, um, down to sort of uh, a smaller number of goops. And that's what this book is all about. Yep, it's all about culling the goops. Moving on to Peacemaker Tries Hard at number four from DC Comics, written by Kyle Starks, art by Steve Pugh. This issue, Peacemaker and Red Bee are trying to track down Monsieur Mala and the Brain, who have taken Peacemaker's dog, Bruce Wayne. There is a ludicrous... See here, it's it's ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous and hilarious. Classic comedy. All the where Peacemaker tells Amanda Waller that Bruce Wayne has been kidnapped, and they have a whole conversation for multiple pages where Peacemaker does not reveal that it's Bruce Wayne the dog, and she thinks it's Bruce Wayne the man, who of course she knows is Batman. That's the sort of comedy you're getting out of this issue, and I think it is completely nailing it. Yeah, feels- uh, like a man standing out of a bathroom stall, Alex. You're forgetting the coke. You're forgetting the cocaine because there's a lot of that in here. Is the the sort of villain that uh, Peacemaker faces down at Snowflame, a villain powered by cocaine, which I thought was also very funny. Yeah, this feels just like the TV show. I, I'm having a blast with this. Really great art, fun writing. Love all the characters. This just. 
Uh, you know, as as Justin said earlier uh, about this comic, I believe it. You know, it feels a little bit like Doom Patrol. You're getting the best of Doom Patrol in this as mm. well. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm having such a blast with this. Well, and I'll also call out Steve Pugh's art. Steve Pugh has kind of become Great. the go-to comedy artist at DC recently, and yeah. He crushes it though. There's something about his, the expressions he put in the yeah. facial reactions that are yeah. so 100%. funny, and it really nails the jokes. Buffy, the last Vampire Slayer, number one from Boom Studios, written by Casey Gilly, art by Oriel Rogue. This is picking up on the Buffy, the last Vampire Slayer mini series that ran a little mm-hmm. while ago mm-hmm. by Sarah Galley. and here we are getting an older Buffy in a future time who is essentially working as the watcher to Tara and Willow's child who has the powers of a witch as well as the powers of a slayer. There's a bunch of other things that are going on here, particularly between Buffy and Spike. Buffy is dealing with some trauma of her own that we don't 100% have the sense of here. I loved the mini series that they did. And I think we all really liked it. What did you think about this follow-up? Yeah, I thought this was very enjoyable, uh, fun, kind of like breaking the fourth roll right in the beginning to kind of like liven it up a little bit. I, I love the art style. Uh, it definitely makes you want to read more. I, I think they they did a good good job of mixing humor and action in this, and uh, it's a, a great kickoff for it, I feel like. It's a dense read. I think if you're a fan of the Buffyverse, this is definitely uh, right up the alley. And I have been liking these. But I will say they definitely take their time with a lot of the um, the characters and really let them, let them breathe during this story. And I this, especially for number one, I, I wish it moved a little bit faster or, or had a larger premise statement at the top. I like the surprise at the end. And I think the second issue is going to be more, a little more propulsive. Uh, I agree with you on that. I like the Buffy Spike stuff quite a bit. I thought yeah. that was interesting. What is Buffy dealing with? What is her trauma? Spike she being kills this, him. Yeah, Spike being almost, this force dude. of good in her life. I also like this new Big Slayer, difference. this child of Willow and Tara. It's an interesting character. But like you said, there's a lot of stuff going on. And for example, they introduce Anya as her temporary watcher, but... I'm a fan of Buffy. I didn't. I was like, is that Anya? Is that the character they put on? Because they don't say her name for several pages. And I don't know. That's the sort of thing, the, the information you need to provide in comic book format when you're not just having the actor show up. So right. I'm still interested in this. I like what Boom Studios has been doing with the Buffy line, but we'll see how this goes. The Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 1 from Marvel, written by Erica Solz and Celeste Bronfen, art by Julian Shaw and David Lopez. The front story is focusing on the first meeting of Hollow's Eve and yeah. Spider-Man, and then we're going to get a backup story as well, focusing on Mary Jane. Is that right? If I remember correctly? Mary Jane, Peter, um, and uh, some X-Men stuff, essentially. Yeah, there you go. Um, what do you think about this one? I know we've been a big fan of the Hollow's Eve storyline. Do you think this was a nice follow-up? I thought this was just kind of like a fun... Uh, separate kind of Spider-Man thing, uh, although it kind of touched on uh, some current events. I liked it as like two kind of separate kind of contained stories that that weren't like downers if you're not uh, happy with what's going down with Peter and MJ. So I feel like this was this was nice. I, I wasn't upset by anything that happened in this, and I was just happy to get kind of like an annual that had two stories in there that was very enjoyable and felt like Spider-Man. So thank you. I enjoyed it. The We talked about uh, really enjoying the Hollow's Eve series and our recent mm-hmm. episodes of the stack. I felt like this, the conclusion here was a little underbaked. I felt, I didn't quite know exactly where we ended. I thought, I thought there was going to be a bigger story here. And so it felt like a little less than I was expecting having enjoyed the Hollow's Eve uh, series so much. And the second story, I was surprised how hard it connected to the Hellfire Gala and what was coming out with Orcus affecting the uh, Krakoan drugs, making Mary Jane's aunt go crazy, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I was like, whoa. And so this story was sort of very intense. I enjoyed it. I thought the David Lopez art here was great. And the dynamic between uh, Peter, Mary Jane, and her husband is interesting. They all just hang out. 
Uh, so that's fine, I guess. But I would think that'd be awkward. Can I just throw out one thing? I do not like this new Spider-Man costume, the one with the yellow lumps on it. Agreed. Uh, you know, like yellow lumps, dude. It's gross. It looks like he has pussy pimples all over his body. It's uh, pussy pimples. That. Pussy I can pimples. To that. Hey, wasn't what? pussy pimples? Didn't she work at the Daily Bugle? <laughs> yeah, she dated Peter Parker for a while, and they were like, "Oh, PP and PP, PP and PP." Now, let me ask you this: Mary Jane has had powers a lot. Does mm-hmm. she not anymore? No, she does. They're going to do a whole, she's going to get a costume coming down the pike. Why doesn't she use her powers here? I don't know. Because her powers are wild. It's like gambling. Yeah. Isn't Jackpot her name? Yeah, Jackpot's her name, but she could get three skulls and die, maybe. So know. you think she's just not gambling with her? Yeah, uh, yeah you should sure gamble, gambling, lady. Even though she's, she's being, being threatened by her aunt who's under They're going to do a whole Jackpot series where she's never going to use her powers. That'll be fun. I guess, hey, we hit the jackpot. I also think it's wild that they're like, you know where the best place for um, Mary Jane's aunt? Ravencroft, the um, <laughs> Arkham Asylum of the Marvel Universe. I was like, you're going to put her here? Even Peter's like, you know, this place is fucked up, but I'll keep an eye on her. I was like, that's your job is to watch the Ravencroft? Very strange. Yeah, very weird. Adventures of John Kent, Superman number six from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Clayton Henry. This is the last issue of the series, surprisingly, yeah. TV, as we wrap up the Injustice storyline in an emotional way. What do you guys think about the wrap up of this uh, series? I uh, First off, just some really amazing covers. Uh, uh, I thought really this was the really- covers. Uh, you gotta shout out the covers, man. Let people know when there's great covers. Uh, just crazy intense, really kind of emotional, cool stuff here. What an issue. I mean, John basically takes out the Justice League and then, uh, uh, and then Superman. It's just, I thought this was such a cool issue and really badass. And, uh, I, I loved it and I'm sad to see that this is it. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed this. I think uh, Tom Taylor continues to really just yeah, understand this, the John Kent as a character, but also Superman as a character. There's a lot of talk in this issue about like, this is what a Superman is. Yeah. This is who Superman is. And there's a moment where it looks like John Kent is going to attack the Injustice Superman and he, spoiler for the, the plot of the book, but then he hugs him and says like, this is what you need. I thought that was great. I thought it was really true to everything that's been coming out of this book and this character. And love that. I was very surprised to see that we're not going to see a John Kent book until November. I don't remember whether we, whether we talked about this on the podcast or not. I know we talked about this on the Patreon Slack a little bit, but Tom Taylor, who mind you wrote dozens of issues Amazing of the Justice comic has very publicly said he didn't he couldn't wrap his head around the idea of injustice he couldn't wrap his head around the idea of a superman who kills at any point and he did it anyway and he had a had fun with it he wrote the crap out of that comic book but this to me this arc and this issue in particular are his very specific rejoinder against the injustice universe and why yeah. it doesn't work and for that alone, I thought this was a lovely issue that got me very emotional yeah, while beautiful. I was reading it. Um, yeah. I'm sad to see this title go, but I think it wrapped up really, really nicely. Great. Quest number one from Image Comics, written by Jonathan Luna and Crystal Wood, art by Jonathan Luna. This is a new fantasy epic from one of the Luna brothers as a wedding day is attacked by some godlike demon-like characters who take the main characters or we assume the main characters husband and then spoiler though you can probably figure this out she chases after him at the end of the issue just with a guy with a guy you're a big luna head what did you think about this yeah you're well, you're luna uh, this this uh the, the any Luna brother art, you're going to just love seeing people getting ripped apart in different ways. The Lunas love having just people at a distance getting all their whole body torn apart and loose blood flying around. <laughs> loose blood. A lot of loose blood. Uh, this, a lot of sort of setup in this issue. Uh, so, But I'm looking forward to the 
the potential romance feels like that could happen here going forward as our uh, main hero heroine goes after um, her husband, her recently, her newlywed husband, which, you know, bummer. The timing just sucks. Oh, know? yeah. I I think this is a really great issue. I mean, I was a little worried when I saw one of the Luna Brothers because I thought we were just going to have weird sex shit for a while. But I I thought this was uh, a fantastic first just blood. issue. Don't worry, it's coming. Uh, this was a fantastic first issue, action packed. Nobody likes weddings; they're boring as shit. So you got to have some adventure in there. So I thought this was just well, murder. A lot of the guests dying. Yeah, I thought that that was a fun twist. I, I just think that uh, really great setup, very interesting premise. Uh, I'm on board. I'm excited for this. I wanted a little more of this, uh, more from this. Excuse me. I like Jonathan Lou's art quite a bit, but we've seen the story a million times. You know, there are different Wait, characters. What? You've seen the story where someone's about uh, gets married and then giant dragons bust in the room and start murdering people. You've seen that yeah, kind of, I've seen variations on it as recently as the Willow series. It's not the exact same thing, but monsters attack a kingdom that is at, at peace. They take a character away and then everybody has to chase after them. I understand that's the point of quest, but what's the twist here? What's the thing that is different about this world or this story that's going to keep me coming back to it? Oh, my God. Yeah, so I jaded. agree. I don't know. Wow. Real disagreement on the podcast. Why don't we move on and talk about Astonishing Iceman, number one from Marvel, yeah. written by Steve Orlando, art by Vincenzo Caruto. This is... Uh, Continuing the Fall of X storyline that kicked off at the Hellfire Gala. As you may know, if you read Hellfire Gala last week, Iceman melted. He died. And here we find out, of course, he's back. But he's back in a very diminished capacity, basically being held together by his boyfriend, barely. And still fighting Orcus, fighting other folks throughout the Marvel Universe. Uh, Pete, I know of the two X-Men issues we're going to talk about this week, this is one the, the one that you liked, so take it away. Well, you don't you don't know my thoughts on the other X-Men book yet. Uh, you oh, know I guess I, not. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. Maybe you yeah. loved it. Uh, I guess we will find out. Um, I just think that um, the, Steve Orlando is a great writer, really hilarious. And it was, you know, it kind of had a Johnny Storm kind of feel for Iceman a little bit where, you know, you just kind of flying around doing his thing a little bit. So I thought this was a really fun uh, issue in, in the midst of all the kind of madness. Also kind of heartbreaking um, once he kind of like you realize uh, what's going on uh, with him. So it was a nice kind of reveal of all the things that are kind of going on with the Iceman. So, yeah, I uh, Steve Orlando is a, is a great writer and he does a great job of kind of uh, making things kind of light and fun. So I, I really enjoyed this issue. Lots going on. The idea that he's on a ticking clock is maybe not a person anymore in is like sort of a, it's a little, I'm, I'm a little confused about how it actually works. It's like almost feels like an emotional resonance is what Iceman is now mm-hmm. um, through his inhuman boyfriend. Uh, but otherwise that's scary to me, but they seem to be having fine. What, what's scary about someone it. who just runs on emotions, man. Some of us, that's the only way we can get by. If I was running on your emotions, if the only way I lived is you sustained me, I'd be worried about that. I, you you could live a long life if you <laughs> ran off my emotions. I got emotions for days. Well, anyway, there's that city boy number three from Wait, DC. What did you Tom- think, Alex? Oh, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Like Pete was saying, I think Steve Orlando has a good sense of humor. Really liked Iceman's riff on the Fortress of Solitude. I thought that was yeah. a little detail. I was surprised about the time jump from the Hellfire Gala to here, that we aren't mm. getting something immediately, but instead we're picking up a couple of weeks or maybe even months later as other things were going on. But uh, ultimately, I don't know. It's a romance, action, adventure thing with Iceman, and I think that's a good place for B. 
a good for, place for him to be and also and a good place for, and us and also nice. Steve Orlando. Steve Orlando plays with that stuff really well. Yeah. City Boy number three from DC Comics written by Greg Pak, arc by Minkyu Young. This is, I think, finishing up the first arc or at least it seems like it's finishing up the first story of City Boy, a character who can feel and kind of control cities. Here, he's getting some important lessons from Superman about Metropolis, the city, as well as being a hero. What did you think about this? Well, I mean, hey, Pete, this was your book. This is yeah, your book. Of the week. I mean, you know, I'm a pocket dude. If Pac's there, I'm there. Uh, I, I yeah. love the use of Superman in this issue. I thought this was a really great use of the soups. Just uh, you great know, soups. Very kind of touching story. I, I really love this. I, I love City Boy. I think this is a cool, unique character, and uh, I'm very excited to see what Greg Pak is going to do with this. Uh, fantastic art. Uh, I've really enjoyed this issue. Like the bodega on 35th Street by the old Pulp Secret Office's Great Soups. The... <laughs> This book, otherwise, um, I, I like the character of City Boy. I, I guess I just want to, we deal with a lot of the sort of negative things that happen to City Boy in this first three-issue story. I'm looking forward to seeing the, the positive side. I love the idea of City Boy going around to all the major cities of the DC universe and sort of like seeing how they manifest. That's super interesting. Yeah. Again, it feels like an extension of this old Sandman story from like, I want to say, the World's End arc about a, a man who falls into the, a city's dream. Great issue if you want to check that out. And then uh, this feels like a great extension of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know why you're so negative. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you got to work through stuff before you can enjoy it, you know? I don't know, Pete. Just resonate your emotions into my body and then I'll feel them. Fire and Ice, number one, from Dynamite, written by Bill Willingham, art by Leonardo Manco. Of course, this is an adaptation of the restaurant chain that uh, uses hibachi no. cooking <laughs> to create. <laughs> I think they're People actually love. closed. So. Yeah, anyway. I think that's a shame. Anyway, this takes place in a fantasy a world where one place is hot and one place is cold, and they're oh, fighting. Fire and Ice. English they're fighting, man. Uh, and maybe a denizen of the fire realm is going to strike up some sort of relationship with a denizen of the ice realm. This is Bill Willingham's take on Pixar's Elemental, which is great <laughs> that there's a lot of, like, that's the thing to really adapt. I thought this was a Coden Red Sonia thing. It's not. Just to be clear. Well, what's nice about it is it does have like a little Conan kind of feel. There's like very old school kind of fighting and and cool stuff in there, which I very much enjoyed. It leans a little bit on the TNA, which I didn't appreciate. But other than that, I feel like this is a fun book and I'm very excited to see what's going to happen. I feel like Bill Willingham took two great Frank Frazetta paintings, set them (laughs) up at an Italian restaurant, uh, Lady in the Tramp style. Uh, played some um, uh, this instrument, a uh, accordion, and uh, what came out was this comic book because they had sex. The paintings. Mm-hmm. My big question about this book is why does the title treatment go so hard? Like it goes <laughs> crazy hard. It's like fire and ice. This is the biggest thing you've read in your entire life, and it's very impressive. It definitely grabbed my opposites. attention. I I don't know. It grabbed my attention, but like it's definitely not fading into the background or anything like that. It's very big and bombastic. That's all I'm saying. That's how you make some noise visually. Yeah, make some some noise. Pete, let's go to our cover correspondent, Pete LePage. Lovely cover. There it is. (laughs) And now back to you for the weather, Justin. <laughs> Fantastic Four, number 10 for Marvel. We got Marvel. a lot of fire and ice coming in here. Fire in the morning, ice in the evening. Don't be the mouse in the middle. That's fire and ice. <laughs> Don't be the mouse in the middle. Fantastic Four, number 10 for Marvel, written by Ryan North, art by Leandro Fernandez. In this issue, the Fantastic Four is interacting with people that move on a different timeline than they do. And from these aliens' perspective, they're living hundreds and hundreds of years while the Fantastic Four is basically living like a couple of minutes of their lifetime. Yeah. Um, so very interesting, uh, thematically is the wrong word, plot-wise in terms of how it's structured Idea. out. Premise. Yeah, premise. There you go. What would you guys think about this? 
I've been loving Ryan North's Fantastic Four uh, issues and the the amount of like just I, creative ideas that are put into each individual issue. And you know what it reminded me of? Star Trek The Next Generation. If you're a Star Trek The Next Generation oh, right. head, mm-hmm. like this is the comic for you because it has that same like strong idea, characters that are just like essentially good, just trying to uh, get through their mission. We don't spend a lot of time with any of them emotionally, but uh, I think we will as it unfolds. I read this and was like, what? And then I read it again and I was like, what? Who? Uh, so like some aliens died, but then s- some were saved. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now that, uh, well, uh, sorry, you didn't like this one. Justice Society of America, number five from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, art by Mikel Janine and Jerry Ordway. This is the end of the first arc of this title as Huntress who is in Mm -hmm. this continuity from the future. She is the daughter of Batman and Catwoman has traveled back in time. She messes up time here, but telling Batman what his eventual fate is in the meantime, per Degaton finally pulls his trap on the justice society. Of course, they fight back against him. We get a tease of what the next storyline is going to be about. I will say I've been really enjoying this book. Mikel Janine and Jerry Ordway's yeah. art is great. Very good. I felt like the Per Degaton thing wrapped up a little quickly for my tastes. Hmm. I think that's fair. I think it's probably going to come back. Because mm-hmm. to me, this feels like some classic Jeff Johns wants to write this title for a long time. Like some classic like Flash stuff, Green Lantern stuff laying out a lot of things and we'll just pay them off down the road. It felt like it did wrap up quickly, but so much was set up. I, I was uh, dubious earlier of the, why uh, Catwoman and Batman's daughter would be like, I'm the Huntress, another character's thing. Uh, but uh, I think you got to be your own thing sometimes. You know what I mean? But or then somebody I would else's say, thing. You got to be somebody say, yeah. else's thing. Like if you came out and was like, I'm the Alex. I'd be like, well, He's the Alex. Why would you also be I the am. Alex? I'm See? I'm President Biden. Wow. <laughs> you're, you're really that's old, a, man. That's a weird take. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the week for hugs. You know what I mean? Like, the, there's been a couple of comics with some really powerful uh, hugs, and uh, I'm here for it. You know, you're going to hug Batman, but Batman's not going to hug you back. You know what I mean? Like, he's mm. still pretty cold as ice. So... Uh, call back to Fire and Ice. Uh, but I, I did think this was a fun issue. Um, call back to Ice, man. Call back to uh, anything. Oh, yeah, see, winter. yeah. Call back to Ice, man. Yeah. Uh, call back to Winter. Uh, <laughs> uh, air, super air tight bananas. Art, though, really solid issue. Um, yeah. I had a great time with it. I mean, I bet Batman, if he does hug, is he just does a little tap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he just got, does the Gives you a tap to let you know the hug's over. That's when he taps. He's like, okay, okay. He's got do you know who is going to hug you for a long time? Mother Nature, number oh. one, which comes out August 8th from Titan, written by Jamie Lee Curtis and Russell Goldman, art by Carl Stevens. You might know Jamie Lee Curtis from such movies as Trading Places. Mm. Freaky Friday? It. Yeah, the, the remake, though. The remake. Ugh. Yeah, yuck. Uh, anyway, she's Come been on, in those. Come on, don't cut short Jamie Lee Curtis, bro. Those Come are the on, only dude. two movies I can think of her Come being on, in. dude. Anyway, True this is a book that she wrote. Halloween. Which is, it's a, to be clear, full-length graphic novel. It is about a yeah. bunch of women who are fighting ecological disaster. One of them is Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, I mean, you nice. gotta, if you got a big name, you got to put her in the book. Totally. Yeah, an actor. Come on. An actor yeah. is truly having a moment That must have right been now. such a treat for her, like uh, a trick-or-treat oh, like yeah. on Halloween. This, how, why are you attacking Jamie Lee Curtis? She's trying to make a comic book here. We should be rooting for her, not rooting against her. What's your Halloween deal? Halloween ends, man. All right, it's over. Oh it's over God. for her. It's over for Halloween. It should be done. over for you, bro. No. Fucking it's Alex watch your me. goddamn tone when you're talking about these Jamie references. Lee. I'm the new final girl in the Halloween series. Alex, these references are everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, nice. I would say. Well, well done. Way to get more uh, topical. Uh, this is crazy long and tripped out, but also great. 
Yeah, I guess we don't want to spoil too much since yeah. it's not out yet. But uh, this has, like, the art is very cool. The yes. story feels really? like uh, it's written from a very passionate place. There's definitely some stuff that happens where I was like, well, take one step over, guy. Move a little out of the way, man. But, uh, sounds but I like, like what a, happens. Sounds like I'm in the minority here. I didn't love this. This felt like, uh, Pete's going to hate me saying this, but this felt like a celebrity vanity project to me, which was, wow. I'm sorry, it felt like I want to do a Dude. movie. I want to do my <laughs> on deadly ground, like Steven Seagal, where I really talk about the environment and the things that we need to do to make it better. You think that's how she pitched it? I want to no, do my I'm sure bitches, Oscar winner Jamie Lee Curtis pitched that movie. I don't know. This feels like a movie pitch in graphic novel form for a Jamie Lee Curtis movie that she probably can't get made or wants to try to get made. Probably Dude, not right why? now because of the SAG strike. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm glad you guys liked it. It was kind of incomprehensible nonsense to me. Wow. Have some Jamie Lee courtesy. Uh, yeah, with the way exactly. You're talking, dude. Alex. These are not true lies. These are the things that I'm feeling. Why don't you have some fucking yogurt and try to be a fucking more balanced? You know what I mean? Like, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, I'm trying, trying to... to be more activa, but it's not yeah. working. I got to read all <laughs> oh these comics, God. man. Dude, you're a fucking <sighs> hater, man. Somebody tried something creatively and you're just going to be like, fuck you. You're famous. I mean, anytime you're writing a graphic novel, it's sort of a big bear season two, episode six of a project. You know what I mean? Wow, you were really fishing for for that one. <laughs> okay. I don't know. That's the I, Mine was a stretch. Yours is a bigger stretch. Moon Knight number 26 from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by uh, Federico Sabatini. This is continuing an issue that, oops, we missed, which was their big kickoff to their death mm. of Moon Knight storyline in issue number 25. Here we're finding out a little bit more about the villain of this arc. Uh, given that we're coming in the middle here, what did you guys think about this? I thought this was very interesting. Loved all the action. Not so much the therapy stuff, but still great art. Mm. Fantastic. Because action. you don't believe in therapy, right? No. I Natural remedies only. Yeah. What the fuck, man? I just I, opened a big old can, a warm, I, lukewarm I, can of therapy over here. point <laughs> before you're trying to fucking shoehorn some bullshit in is that in a medium, I don't need to see somebody go through therapy. You know, there's other things you can do. Uh, but I, I do think that all the other stuff uh, was really enjoyable. Uh, I'm curious where because we're we're this issue is about a care a non a sort of a secondary Moon Knight character. I like the manifest how the powers manifest for this right, for right. this guy, um, and I I don't know what the overarching connection is going to be. Well, it you seems also like jumped all, in after the you know you missed a bunch, so it seems like all Moon Knights have uh, psychological invasions happening, and that's part of the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is just ancestors instead of uh Yeah, we'll have to see. I think, you know, you should be able to jump into any issue and read a comic book. That's kind of the thing. Pete, you look dubious. I I completely disagree with you. It really depends on the comic and the story and what's going on. Some you comics start with yes. number one. Some comics, Which I mean yeah. the first comic. No, I understood what number one meant. Uh, but if you're trying to tell a bigger story, you know, uh, jumping in after the first issue, you might have some questions. I say give it the benefit of the doubt. This is a great team on this. This is some really enjoyable art. I think we'll get our answers uh, questioned as we go. We'll this, is the, this is the mother nature of Moon Knights. Wow. Wow, dude. Wow. Wow. You need to Jamie leave it alone. Chris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you fucking drinking haterade over there. What the fuck, man? Wow. Let's move to our night terrors block yeah! and talk about yeah. a bunch of stuff that's coming out for the DC universe. This will shut you up. <laughs> what? <laughs> Definitely not. I'm about to read so many names. We are going to be talking about a bunch of night terrors books, including night terrors, Ravager number two written by Ed Bryson art by Dexter. Soy. night terrors, the Joker number two written by Matthew Rosenberg. Bergie. 
Art by Stefano Raphael. Night Terrors, Batman, number two, written by Joshua Williamson. Art by Gillam March and Trevor Hairside. Night Terrors, Black Adam, two, by Jeremy Hahn. Night Terrors, Poison Ivy, number two, written by G. Willow Wilson. Art by Adagon Ilhan. If you haven't been paying attention, the DC Universe has been taken over by a villain named Insomnia, who is putting everybody into their nightmares in order to find something called the Nightmare Stone. We're in month two of this now. We're finally getting issue number twos. As we have been doing the past couple of weeks, what jumped out to you? What did you like? What did you think was interesting this the week? The Ravager issue had three amazing covers, just really mm-hmm. unbelievable. The black and white one was so cool. Uh, I love to see the Ravager in this issue. It was such a badass issue. Really enjoyed it. Joker one continues to just be really insane. This whole like Joker having a day job is so creepy and so dark and so weird. Like his son, spoilers, but his son finding the Batman's dead body was such a fucked up thing. Um, Yeah, I, I... The, the Poison Ivy one, it just was like so creepy. The art, like the, the, the smiles, it reminds me of that smile horror movie where it's like, Mm. it's just so Did you watch that? No, I couldn't. Um, It's actually not that good and it's not that scary. Just smiles are are really scary. Um, Smiles are scary. But yeah, I continue to really enjoy this. Some of the issues are more just a character having a nightmare, but some of them are just like really in depth and and a lot of happens. I highly recommend the Ravenger issue. I really enjoyed the Batman issue by Joshua Williamson. Some nice, well-tread ground of Batman dealing with his parents' death. But I thought this was a nice, this is a sort of a, the scene between Batman and the young Bruce Wayne, I thought was really nice and something I hadn't really seen handled in that way before. So that was really cool. So I was surprised how seemingly essential the Black Adam issue feels mm-hmm. like it will be in the main Night Terrors book. None of these books really push the overarching story forward, uh, which Insomnia is just looking through all these people's brains to see if they have the Nightmare Stone. But as they, everyone keeps talking about Sandman, feels like Sandman has the Nightmare Stone. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Uh, interesting take. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I just want to touch on the Batman thing. You brought up a really awesome touching moment there that got me in the feels. I mean, that whole thing about him talking about his family that he created was uh, just such a nice moment. Really nice. Yeah, I'll call out two here. One, The Joker is my favorite title out of this whole event so far. It's so funny and satirical. And, uh, you know, Stefano Raphael's art is so good. The way that he's drawing Joker in this office and everything is perfection. And like you guys said, the Batman issue, I think the thing that elevates that a little bit is Joshua Williamson is the architect behind this event, so he knows he has a better handle on where it's going and what the key moments are and the things that he needs to hit. We're dialing into Batman's emotional stuff here, but it clearly brings insomnia to the forefront, ties it a little more closely. So not that this is the only thing, but it makes it feel a little more important for the overall event, Uh, and that's kind of what I'd say about that. But overall... Continuing to enjoy this. Let's move to another event, X-Men number 25 from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Stefano Caselli. This is an issue following up directly on the events of the Hellfire Gala in a similar way to Astonishing Iceman, but is pushing things even further. We're catching up with a bunch of different characters, finding out what's going on with Dr. Stasis after the Hellfire Gala, Cyclops, Kitty Pride. Cyclops. Uh, uh, well, Bullshit. no, like here, here's what I'm really appreciating about this right now Ooh. is this seems to be looping in a lot of stuff from a lot of other X-Men events yeah. in a very clear, it's not, not even a subtle way. Like the event that happened at the Hellfire Gala is being called publicly the Mutant Massacre, which is the name yeah. of an event to the X-Men. The way that Cyclops is tied up on a big X and being tortured by Dr. Stasis to me feels like a lot of different things, but definitely like the Australia era X-Men with Wolverine being tied up by the Reavers yeah. and put on that big X. So there's a lot of like visual call outs there. I, 
love the idea of Kitty being now that she's the only one who can go through the gates, being like, I'm she's the only the one that yeah, she's the Wolverine. She's the only one that can take care of any business for everybody. And she's feeling it. She's taking on this new slash old identity of Shadowcat, going all the way back to the classic Chris Claremont. Uh, Wolverine and Kitty Pride miniseries where she got corrupted by Ogun. Is that the name of the character? I think I so, think. yeah. Um, so love all that stuff. I wish there was a little more focus in this issue. Like I would have loved yeah. it if it was just a Shadowcat issue or just a Cyclops issue or something like that. But I understand it's called X-Men and you got to give the wash of stuff. Well, this felt like sort of the the back half of Hellfire Gala, and mm-hmm. it wanted to be another like big long issue, but instead it was a little shorter, so it did feel a little jam packed. But I mean, a lot of revelations here. I love the Shadowcat sequence, Pete. I I hope you also love that in a situation that I know you're maybe not the happiest about, but that was badass. Um, I think we're learning that the portals didn't kill everyone. It feels like a very obvious secret that mm-hmm. it just move them to weird places. We have Forge ending up in the vault, another like weird shaggy part of the X-Men universe that I guess they're getting their own title and it's going to become more important. That's interesting. The way that now Shadowcat is immediately going after Firestar, who's the fake uh, turncoat that is riding with Orcus. I'm like, wow, right away. <laughs> He's going to try to kill her. Uh, only hoping that they somehow find a way to talk to each other. And the X-Men are aware that they have a, a mole on the inside. But in general, this is just, it's, I'm excited and refreshed uh, for the X-Men universe right now. Pete, you've been hiding in the shadows, like some sort of cat intangible uh, with several swords inside both Alex and I, uh, our heads. So please. Um, yes, you thank you for bringing that up. That was my first point. Sick cover. Really sick cover. Loved it. Uh, love the quote at the beginning, uh, which I thought was uh, a very kind of cool way to start. But then as it kind of, kind of goes on, it kind of reveals more than what you think. Uh, I really hate how they're doing this thing at the start of the uh, X-Men book with like, X weeks ago? Go fuck yourself. Tell me how many weeks ago, all right? Um, uh, Ten. It's ten. Uh, I right ten, you fucking dumbass. Uh, anyway, these complaints uh, are you're getting so saying. ornery. You're getting so ornery. Now. Yes, you're I complaining am. about you're complaining about the mail being a couple minutes late. Complaint. Wow, that's a very specific reference. Why don't you uh, get off my lawn? So is your complaint about one tiny universal. box that says X weeks ago? Uh, yeah, well, it's a running thing that they're doing in their comics, and if you like it, it's kind of enjoyable. But if you hate it and you keep seeing it, it kind of drives you insane. Uh, so anyways, um, yeah, it, it just it's hard to see Kitty Pry go so dark. You know what I mean? Uh, where she's snapping necks and shit like that, which I, I just... Uh, I have more uh, hope uh, for Kitty Pride. So, uh, you know, as someone who enjoys violence, uh, it puts me in a weird position where it's like, oh, mm. man, um, it's hard to see Kitty Pride go so dark so fast. But I really enjoyed seeing Scott Summers tied up and tortured. That was mwah, that was very nice. So that was so you're cool. siding with Dr. Stasis in this scenario. Yeah. No, but if I was in charge of anything, the first thing I would do is just fucking sew his eyelids shut and be like, why don't you fucking go fuck off in the corner for a while? Oh, Um, my God. Anyways. uh, uh, Wow, we got a real Orcus member over here. uh, But also there's a lot. I like how fast things are moving. You know what I mean? So it makes me excited about the future, and we're not going to kind of dwell on that stupid fucking gala. Well, that's going to be the next several months of the storyline. Let's move on to talk about Love Everlasting, number 10 from Image Comics, written by Tom King, art by Elsa Charretier. In this issue, our main character is old. She's crazy old. She's aging. She is moving through time, even though everything has stayed in 1963 in this simulation or whatever she is trapped in. And ultimately... There's a big spoiler here, but by the end of the issue, now that she's old, she meets somebody and actually falls in love for real. And then, of course, in a total gut punch, the cowboy who kills her whenever she spoilers, falls in love. Spoilers, dude. Say spoilers at some point. I did say spoilers just like five seconds ago. 
shoots her and she dies and she goes back to being trapped in the same thing. And she has decided now she's going to take the fight to him. She's going to kill the cowboy. She's going to kill her mother. I think we're heading into the last two issues of this title. I'm definitely entering this issue. I felt like we need something to happen. We need some sort of turn here. But then it did. And then it did. It did. So there you go. You got to trust in trust in Tom King. Uh, he definitely he, like plays it plays the long con. He keeps he it coy for a lot of um, his books, but they're all, all they are all always interesting. I feel like, and this is no different. Uh, this reminded me of Remender's uh, quote um, about David Lynch, uh, where it's like, "Hey, you don't need to show everything. You tell everything. You can just show it, tell the story." And that's what this is. It's sort of just watching it. We're seeing that. It's the love is the endpoint, and the repetition love. of that is like a, a trap. But also, we love being in love as people. Like, there's just a lot of great ideas here. Yeah, uh, I love love as well. But I, I think that uh, you know, at number the last issue, I was kind of going insane. Like, you got to give me more, Tom King, and they did in this issue. The the old people love was very very touching. Yeah, um, and then it love turns love. Kind of, uh, then it turns dark and weird. Uh, but uh, this th- continues to be a very enjoyable, bigger story uh, that uh, Tom King is telling. And it really kind of cranked it up in this issue. So I'm very happy where things are and then excited about how this is going to all kind of come together. So really great issue. If you've been kind of like, oh, I don't know, uh, definitely kind of uh, check back in because it's worth it. Let's talk about Doctor Strange, number six from Marvel, written by Jen McKay, art by Juan Gedeon. In this issue, Doctor Strange fights a war for thousands, thousands of years. Thousands of years. Thousands That's of years. So it lasts a very short time in the real world. What do you think about this one? Well, I really enjoyed this, was, this issue. Yeah. Uh, the, I've really been enjoying Jed McKay's run here. Jed McKay's writing a million comics right now in the Marvel Universe. I really have been enjoying almost all of them. This is setting up just a great new Doctor Strange villain that we get paid off next issue. Doctor Strange fights the war-ravaged version of himself, who's more skilled, but also uh, hardened and uh, dark. Uh, This great setup. Looking forward to the, the payoff. Yeah, I mean, you know, Doctor Strange goes to war, learns how much it sucks. Um, I think the art's really unbelievable. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I, I think the, I'm going to check out the next issue cause it's an interesting strange versus strange kind of battle Royale. The oddly pedestrian life of Christopher chaos. Number two from dark horse comics written by Tate Bromble art by Isaac Goodhart. This is following a teenager who has maybe some sort of powers, whatever it is. He's very smart and can invent things. And he is in a world where creatures like werewolves and vampires and others are real. He watched his crush explode and get killed Mm. by some mysterious beings and is working to bring him back. In this issue, he tangles with a Dracula-themed superhero who may or may not be somebody he knows. What did you think about I I think we all like the first issue. What did you think about the second one? This book's a it's chaotic. It has like real teen energy to it, mm-hmm. and I think that works. That's what the story is. The story's interesting. It's um, mashing up a lot of different genre things at the same time. Very Batman, uh, very vampire centric. Then we have this sort of maybe cult, like vaguely religious cult here. So a lot of great elements coming together, and I feel like sometimes that can be feel a little like it's still stolen. This feels like it's really earned to me. I like this. Yeah, I I think that you know I disagree with the the title. This is uh, more than pedestrian life. I mean, this is really uh, lack going this on. Life seems sort of exceptional. Yeah, honestly, uh, he's busy. Love the art style. I think it's a very cool and interesting story. I'm really digging it. Uh, a lot of crazy twists and turns. You know, the guy kind of basically, you got Dracula and a werewolf sitting right next to each other uh, live streaming. Those guys more never interesting agree. Than that. Yeah. 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 Famous. There you go. They're at the Monster Mash. Mm-hmm. They, it was a graveyard smash, I heard. Yeah. Mm. Oh, really? I hadn't heard that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Breaking news. Scarlet Witch, number seven from Marvel, written once again by Steve Orlando, art by Lorenzo Tometa and Sarah Pacelli. In this issue, Scarlet Witch is once again helping somebody out, except part of the person that she's helping out is Magneto, her daddy. Or is it? Or is it? Do you not think it's Magneto? No, it's not. It's his clone twin, Joseph. Oh, that's Ah. right. Oh, it's it's Magneto. I don't think that's his name. Remember this guy? He was hanging around the X-Men for a while. Yeah. And he, this was like maybe 10, 12 years ago. I think he later became evil for a bit. Yeah, old Joe. Yeah, we remember. All right. Guess I missed that. Sorry about that. Uh, no, uh, no, no worries. Um, I think that's an interesting, cause now I feel like it's sort of like, oh, you're not my dad, but you're here and you can stay. And I guess you're a part of the crew now <laughs> in a way. It's like uh, having an uncle you didn't know about and like, oh, cool. I mean, not super emotional, but like, cool, I guess. First off, I don't like the shots fired at uncles over there. So I don't appreciate that. But I, I think this... It's like if an uncle showed up and started, like, going to the, your soccer practice and, and going to soccer games all the time and cheering all the time. You know what I mean? What's wrong with that? That's a very touching and fantastic thing to do for somebody. Or yeah. if, like, that, an uncle started stealing all the beer in the fridge downstairs. Hey, <laughs> I, I don't I don't like these personal attacks. This story continues <laughs> to be awesome. This is a lot of fun. I love all the adventures that she's having. Super tight yeah. bananas uh, art. And shout out to Darcy. Great art. This is just uh, Steve Orlando is very smart and knows how to write comic books and have fun while doing it. Um, and I'm having a blast. Given everything that's going on in Florida, here's one Orlando you'll want to visit. Wow. (laughs) Put it on the cover. This is then people talking about how great the cover is. I also just want to say that this feels like Steve Orlando's like, like main book. This is like the Mm -hmm. the statement book and it's, it's so good. It's hitting the notes. Um, The art is backing all it up. Last but not least, Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, number eight from Boob Studios, written by Jason Aaron, art by Leila Del Duca. This, in this issue, the paradise that our main characters have created, of course, is starting to fall down. We get some flashbacks to the beginning of it as well, but man, what a tragic arc for a book that already started at the end of the world. Yeah. This this book is wild. Like it was a maybe romance um, with a lot of like uh, Mad Max elements to it, and now it's in into like a sex sex utopia and the ramifications of uh, like trying to have relationships with people while they're also in open relationships, basically. And it's just amazing to me how much of that is in this book. And then also there's maybe a mist that's making people. Yeah. Evil uh, sex mist is what I have written down in my notes. Yeah. You have that in your notes a lot, though. Like, I wish there was a sex mist, an evil sex mist, maybe. No. no. I think this is a sex mist. I think this is the is first time I've ever written the sentence evil sex mist. You've seen it. back with Justin vision. for weather, we got an evil sex mist coming in. So watch out, folks. You're going to have wet, wet bones going forward. Oh, oh my God. I, I just think the story is kind of like. Gone off the rails. Like, I was like, okay, love at the end of the world. Uh, highly unlikely, but I'm in. And then it kind of like <laughs> kept like getting crazier and crazier. And now I'm just kind of like, what the fuck is happening anymore? So I'm still in it to win it, but I'm kind of like, this shit is getting really weird. And I would like some kind of... Uh, Things to start making sex or sense. I'd like some things to start making sex. And if you would I... like some things to start making sex, you can support us at patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we have a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come back out. We'll have sex with your eyes. What? 
right? Yes. No, we won't. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Android, not on Stitcher. Stitcher is going away at the end of August, so please don't subscribe there anymore and go subscribe other places. We're on every major platform. But you can check us out socially at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. You know, sometimes when we when we finish this podcast, I think back and I'm like, did anything we say make any sex? <laughs> <laughs>